Welcome to the Sources of the Nile, a podcast about media, science and watch diplomacy in the Nile Basin. I'm your host Emanuele Fantini from IHE Delft, the Institute of Water Education in the Netherlands. we talked with Linda Lillenfeld, director of the film festival Let's Talk About Water, and with historian and filmmaker Terget Vett about how videos and movies can make us looking at the Nile from different and new perspectives. This episode has been recorded during the film festival Let's Talk About Water that took place in February in Delft. Why film and how do movies and video relate to water diplomacy and hydropolitics? This is exactly what we want to explore in this episode. In the festival we had a special event called Saturday on the Nile, a sort of binge-watching from afternoon till night to compare different gazes on the Nile, by journalists, by researchers and by filmmakers. We started by watching the trilogy The Nile Quest, a video documentary by Terriet Vedd. Terriet will be our guest in the second part of the podcast. Then we watched three videos made by journalists affiliated to Water Journalist Africa, Smile on the Nile by Dagim Terefe from Ethiopia, Coherence and Aggression by Ishraga Abderrahman from Sudan, and his speech on the banks of the Timeless River by Safa Sala from Egypt. It was a very rich and long event, so let's begin by listening to the impressions of the participants. These are our Voices of the Nile, recorded at Let's Talk About Water Film Festival in Delft. Adham and I'm from Egypt. I think film is a very fast way to reach people, much faster than reading the news or something, because people can, with all their senses, they can interact with that. And I think it maybe can change people's behavior or people's understanding of the problem. For me, this movie is interesting and it tells people how the normal uh, the people who live there how they they think about the problem and maybe maybe this will reflect that people have to be more aware yeah, i'm rosemary Nyinge from kenya i think the film helps especially the public who are not experts in water they really don't know the negotiations they don't know they don't know they just know the lake victoria is water where they get their daily water from or fishing, but they really don't know what what decisions, I mean how some decisions made in an office interferes with their everyday life. So filming and especially it can bring about awareness. Well, you know, what, what really struck me was the, um, um, the similarity with the Dutch situation. I saw the Ethiopian people being proud of the dam and I realized that we as Dutch are also proud of the Delta Works. 
uh, when a couple of weeks there was a storm and the water came up, there was a sense of pride in the country about how we kept out the water, so I recognized that. And on the, on the other end, the Egyptian people being a bit afraid of these developments made me realize that it was only 30 years ago that, we, that the Dutch had tough negotiations with the Swiss and the Germans about the Rhine pollution, the upstream pollution by chemical companies there. So I do understand, on the one hand, the pride in Ethiopia and at the same time the fear in Egypt. And I think it would be unwise to just say, well, if we just bring in the right information, that will all disappear. I think that will stay and it's important to realize that. I always had the view from one point of view, the Egyptian point of view. So after seeing the movies, I now have uh, three points of view on the, of, on the issue. So I can now relate more to how the others uh, are feeling about uh, this project and water policies in the area. So uh, one thing is I'm from India and uh, I saw the, the listing of the movies and they all are about Nile, the Nile trilogy. And the first thing that caught up with me is uh, both the countries have been colonized by the same rulers. So we have the same things to consider. And that part of history is very important uh, in how the current and the present uh, political movements are going around. And that's why I feel I could relate my country issues with, with Egypt. You could hear how the videos elicited connections between different countries within and outside the Nile Basin and how people could identify themselves with the motions and stories presented in the videos. This is one of the reasons I like very much working with Let's Talk About Water Film Festival and I want to thank the directors Linda Lillenfeld and Jérôme Van Damme. And I'm honored to have Linda as our first guest. Linda, welcome at the Sources of the Nile. Thank you so much. So this is the sixth edition of the yes, festival? Yes, in Delft. In, in Delft, Delft, of yes. course. And so um, the festival is called Let's Talk About Water. Mm -hmm. So how did you get this uh, JD of the festival? And how can we talk about water through the movies? That's a great question. Um, I professionally have been a picture and film researcher for 45 years, long time. And I specialized in science and history. So I worked on documentary films, on museum exhibits and books in the old days before internet. And I would go to archives and libraries and collect images for documentaries. So it's a technical job, actually. It's very wonderful. And I worked on an exhibition about climate change, but in 1992. So that's many years ago and do Emiliani Fa. It's a long time ago. And uh, it was a very shocking subject. And I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and it's not plants and animals are not my favorite thing. So I thought this subject, I don't think people understand it. It has many sciences involved. They impinge on each other. So you'll have biology and chemistry and geology, but suddenly you'll have biogeochemistry. And I thought people don't realize the, mag the uh, magnitude of the problem and we have to find a way to communicate better. And I like the idea of the work I did and so I decided to focus my energy on this subject, climate change, and how to tell the story. And I tried to develop a TV series and that didn't quite work, but what I did discover is that water was a great entry point 
water knits it all together and that if you follow the water you can actually understand climate change very well. And so instead of trying to make a film, I realized that actually there are a lot of films out there already and they can be used as a jumping off point to work with scientists in a public setting and get them to speak in a more natural and simple way and be able to answer questions that people have that they're a little intimidated to ask a scientist. And so I created Let's Talk About Water based on this. Thank you, Linda. And uh, this year is the second time that we uh, are organizing a special event within the Let's Talk About Water Film Festival, which is called a Saturday on the, on the Nile. Last year, we watched two movies, one from Ethiopia and one from Egypt. The first one was Abai versus Vegas. It's a movie by Ethiopian filmmaker Teodros de Shome. It's a love story set on the river of Lake Tana. Released in 2011, the movie has been also a big success in Ethiopia. And the second movie was People and the Nile, a narrative documentary by one of the master of Egyptian cinema, Yusuf Shaheen, shot in 1968. It tells the story of Egyptian workers and Russian engineers that contributed to the building of the High Haswan Dam. So, Linda, what did you learn from those movies? Uh, being shot at very different periods. One is contemporary and one is from the 60s, I think it is. So the first story was very riveting to the audience because it was very contemporary. It's, it was comparing Las Vegas to Ethiopia. So you had sort of a very um, colorful society compared to a very formal society but it really opened a door to understand Ethiopians and the Ethiopian diaspora and the fact that there is this new phenomenon, the Grand Renaissance Dam, and that in fact it's inspiring Ethiopians to try to get Ethiopians that are spread around the world to come back to Ethiopia. And it also uh, was a beautiful way of portraying uh, the relationship of religion and culture and farming and a natural life compared to the very kind of fake and jazzy life of Las Vegas. So this movie is so beloved to Ethiopians that when I'm in Washington and I may have a cab driver and I'll say, did you see that movie, Abai e Vegas? They'll say, that isn't the name of it. It's Abai, which means the River Nile, versus Vegas. And that was fantastic. Yeah. The second film was really an interesting uh, way of looking at the water crisis because it looked at the Aswan Dam being built in Egypt and the role of the Soviets in funding it because Americans pulled out, the World Bank pulled out, and so there was a relationship and the filmmaker being a very respected auteur of films in Egypt, Yosef Shaheen, he was given the responsibility to make a documentary about the building of this dam with the Soviets. And the film was made with both together, but the Soviets actually didn't like his version. And they edited it and censored it. And he was so upset with it, they edited it back to the original. And the French actually restored it. And that was the uh, edition that we had with the French subtitles. So it was a bit challenging, but very colorful way of looking at Ethiopia and Egypt in one day being on the Nile and really using films as a jumping off point to talk about very important geopolitical ideas and science as well. Yeah, this year we, we decided to, to look at the Nile from a, from a different perspective and we uh, invited uh, Terriet Vett. 
And what did you what did you learn eh, by watching his uh, Nile trilogy, the Nile Quest? Well, this was actually a very thrilling experience because this series is so captivating and so dramatic, so informative about the fact that the Nile, which in a way Egyptians feel is the narrative of their whole 5,000 years of history, is actually connecting 11 countries. And I never understood this before. So I learned a great deal. And I think the audience was just swept away by these films. Thinking about the that movie and maybe other examples as well, which would be your, your recommendation or your tip to researchers and scientists that want to use video to, to promote and talk about their research? Well, I think that people don't realize how complex river systems are. And I think, in a way, we are moved by the idea of studying where is the source of the Nile. But in fact, it seems that there are many sources of the Nile. There are cascading lakes. Actually, what I learned, which was amazing, is that people are in Egypt are worried about the dam in Ethiopia because they could just sort of turn off Egypt's access. But in fact, in Sudan, which is very affected by the flow of the Nile, and you have the Blue Nile and the White Nile, that in fact they have so much flooding that in fact the dam could serve them really well, except when you look at sedimentation. If you cut the flow of water, which helps you on the flood side of the story, then you get the problem of the agricultural uh, produce being affected by the lack of sediment flow. So all of these are very intriguing stories within the water science field. And I think looking at narrative as a way to understand it and films that give you a flavor of the countries and the people and hearing the voices of the people, that this is the best way to have an emotional relationship to wanting to understand the water story. Thank you very much, Linda. This year, we also did an experiment as a part of our research yeah. on media, science and water diplomacy. We asked three um, journalists Uh, Dagim Terefe from um, Ethiopia, Safa Sala from Egypt and Ishraga Abdelrahman from Sudan. They all belong to the African Water Journalists. So we asked them to, to portray visually the role, the way media in their respective country are talking about uh, the Nile and the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. Which was your impression about this small trilogy? Oh, well, I actually really loved this work. The minute you take a specific country and you have specific governmental regulations on water data information, when you have a journalist who wants to tell the story about water quality or water quantity or water policy, they need access to information and the governments that run the countries basically have control over the flow of that information. So I found these three stories utterly fascinating because in Ethiopia, there are restrictions on the water data, but in order to understand the role of the dam, the Grand Renaissance Dam and the impact on other countries, the way the Ethiopians presented themselves is we don't want to have anything bad happen to Egypt or Sudan or any other country. We want this dam to serve the Nile Basin. Well, in a way to tell that story specifically, you do need scientific information. And so how do you find it? So that question was very interesting. Then you go to Sudan, which as I mentioned earlier, has flood issues and sediment issues. 
And so how they talk about it had such a different voice. So what I loved is that when you hear the Norwegian professor talk the three stories about the Nile, you get his perspective. He's very loving, he's very gifted historian, and you, t you have a very beautiful experience, very dramatic experience, and learn a great deal. But when you actually hear the voices of the journalists from the countries interviewing their colleagues or their people in the street, you get a flavor that you cannot possibly get from a journalist from the U US or from Europe. And so then by the time we got to Egypt and they are really terrified of this dam, the different governments that have existed are using this fear to build a groundswell of discomfort in the population that they should be against this dam. Well, if they had data, if they could see that the Ethiopians are not necessarily out to get them, so to speak, this could be very helpful. So the idea of your podcasts, these interviews, working with an um, African journalists uh, network. network, I just find this a very refreshing uh, set of materials available uh, through the internet that's really going to help us understand the problem. Thank you very much, Linda, for joining the Sources of the Nile and for shaking depth with Let's Talk About Water Film Festival. Thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to be here with you all. It is always great to talk with Linda about water. And I particularly appreciated her remarks on the potential of video in terms of linking science and technical information with emotions. Of course, these emotions can be very different, pride in Ethiopia, for instance, fear in Egypt, in Egypt, as we've heard in the comments by the public at the beginning of this episode. It made me also thinking of our second episode when we discussed with what was inside the emotions that shapes public discourses around the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. Join me on a journey from the times of the pharaohs to the present, up the world's longest river, from its outlet in the Mediterranean to its sources in the heart of Africa. I have met people who are totally dependent on the water of the Nile. Our life is night. And I've talked to those who decide how the river should flow. Right now, the struggle for power over the Nile is more dramatic and complex than ever before in history. And the Nile has been master and servant for humans for 5,000 years. And this was the intro to the Nile Quest, the video documentary in three parts by Terget Ved, who is professor at the University of Bergen and at the University of Oslo in Norway, and who has joined us at the festival Let's Talk About Water in occasion of the projection of his video documentary. So Terje, we last night we watched the Nile Quest, but you have also done three, uh, two other video documentaries, A Journey in the History of Water and the Future of Water. So why did you do that? Well, I think it's uh, great fun, isn't it? Looks uh, like. 
Yes, to go together with the cameraman to all these countries of the world and also in the Nile Basin is of course to get to know the river in a very, very different way than what you normally do and you're sitting behind a desk or reading a book. Well, I've traveled, of course, in the Nile Basin and other places as well before, but filming this um, Nile River from the south to the mouth brought me, of course, to a lot of places along the Nile that I would never have gone to had it not been for the film. And in addition, I think that, you know, as a researcher, you know that the book reaches a certain audience. Uh, a video or a film um, can uh, reach much bigger audiences than other audiences. So the, to have the opportunity to try to make a narrative of the history of the Nile using not only text, but also visual methods, music, all these kinds of things are, of course, very, very fascinating and very difficult as well. Yeah, because I can imagine eh, that as an historian, you've been studying a lot about the Nile, you want to convey a lot of information, at least you have a lot of information, mm -hmm. but then you had to make a choice because in the video, you, there are only a few sentences, you cannot be too much <laughs> articulated. And then perhaps there is the cameraman who wants to take certain shooting. So how does the process work, working also with video makers, cameramen, which is the role of the researchers? First, I have to admit that you are totally correct to say that it's extremely difficult to formulate long arguments about the historical developments in a few sentences. It's, it's very demanding. But on the other hand, it forces you to really reconsider or rethink or think through what have you really found out. Well, but when it comes to the relationship between the cameraman and, and, and the researcher, I think that in relation to the films I have been making, um, the researcher is not God, but the researcher is deciding almost everything. Uh, because you have to know what to film and where to go. For example, if you're trying to make a documentary of the Nile, because it's so huge, it's so long, 11 countries, 7,000 7, kilometers. You can just not, you cannot, you can, you cannot go just there and start filming. You have to know where you're going. So that's why the role of the researcher is uh, framing not only the manuscript, of course, but also the scenes you have taken, uh, the people we are interviewing, the time of the day we are filming, uh, the time of the year we are filming. It has to be decided by the researcher. As an example, if you are going to Burundi and filming the Nile, where do you go? I think you have to know something about the history of the Nile in Burundi in order to find out where to do that most efficiently. So where did you go? We, of course, went to the pyramid. The pyramid? The pyramid in Burundi, yes. Uh, not that many people will, of course, know about it, but it was erected by the Germans in the 1930s as a signal to the world that Burundi was also a part of the Nile civilization. And it's a very beautiful small pyramid on the top of the hill. You can stand there looking into Congo. So we went there naturally. 
and uh, we went to the spring of course and we went to the stone we had to we wanted to find out you know where did stanley go up uh, go when he tried to i mean livingston uh, where did livingston and stanley meet when they both were looking for the source of nile in the 19th century and there is a stone there outside the capital of burundi um, where they have where the two names are inscribed so of course you had to go there and then the, the cameraman shot very nice pictures i think so the point is you cannot start making such a film without knowing a lot as an historian how did you manage to balance music images and text when it comes to 11 countries long history very controversial contemporary issues i don't i hope we managed to make a balanced film uh, and we gave it at least a lot of consideration because the whole, the whole idea behind making the nine movie was to try to give a picture of the complexities of the problem without taking sides with any of the par parties and then of course you had to think not only on the, on the text but also how you use the music you had to use the same type of music when you present the different types of countries in order to not uh, distinguish too much between them on the other hand you cannot play the same music all the time of course <laughs> it would be very very dull so you have to find strike the balance there between the music you use how you film that you try to show the same respect for the different countries standpoints but also try to depict the beauty of the now in all of the countries because it's so different this i mean the now is beautiful and and impressive but it's at the same time very very different from place to place but you cannot be too much concerned with that you just have to try to fight to, to portray the river in all its uh, variations and complexities as truthful and balanced as possible. I'm curious to learn more about it because uh, after watching the Nile Quest last night at the Let's Talk About Water Film Festival, we had an interesting discussion also with the public about the role of intellectuals and researchers, both from Nile countries and also outsiders. Do they have to be neutral? Can they be neutral? Or do they have to take sides? People, different people will, I suppose, um, make different choices here. The choice I made was to try to be as neutral as possible. Partly because I'm an historian and a geographer and why should we take? Take, um, take, take the side of any of the parties. No point in that. Um, and in addition, as an outsider, I think it's not correct for me to either say what the different countries should do or what the different countries um, ought to do. That's not my job. So what we decided to do was to try to, as far as it is possible, to produce a film about the Nile that just showed uh, appreciation 
of the river uh, for the river um, to try to show that this river is a magnificent resource has played an enormous role in history not only in African history but also in European and world history that this now this river has to be seen in a in a modern perspective which is uh, to see it as an ecological unity that has to be preserved not only for today but for hundreds of years to come. As Italian, I was flattered by the fact that you begin and you end the Nile quest in front of Bernini fountains of the four rivers in Rome. And you say that you did that because the Nile is a African waters, of course, but also a word river. What do you mean exactly with that? Well, the Nile is, I think, the most mythical rivers of all rivers of the world. No river has had so many books written about it. From for thousands of years, people have been traveling there. I mean, tourism was established on the Nile, and it was European tourist 2,000 years ago, during the Roman Empire. And the modern tourism also was established first on the Nile, then British tourists went there, organized by the Cook Company in the late 19th century. So the Nile is a dream for so many people. So you have to take that as a fact. The Nile is African water, but it is a world river because so many people all over the place are, are interested in, uh, in, in that river's history. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining the sources of the Nile and let's talk about water film festival. Thank you. And hope to have you back with us very soon. Thank you, the same. Thank you. history of water and the history of the Nile. So for me it was quite a surprise listening to him saying that while shooting the documentary he learned a lot and started to look at the river with new eyes. So Linda pointed at one power of the video connecting emotions and signs and Terje added the second power, the transformational and educational potential of video. I believe that these are two points that we should keep in mind when studying or practicing water science communication. Documentaries, movies, video play a key role in shaping the popular imaginary about the Nile and of course water diplomacy, political choices and decision makers are influenced and have to deal with this imaginary too. This podcast is brought to you by the project Open Water Diplomacy, media, science and transboundary cooperation in the Nile Basin, funded by the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Global Partnership for Water and Development. The music you listen to is by the Nile Project, 
a collective of musicians from different Nile countries performing together to spark curiosity and debate on the Nile in an innovative way. Thank you guys! And thanks to all our listeners for the feedback and reactions. Please do keep sending us your comments. You can reach us through the NileWaterLab.org or through the NileWaterLab Facebook page. And as Linda Lilienfeld used to say, water needs it all. So I would like to thank Emily Baust, who knits all our interviews together and who edits the podcast. Thank you very much, Emily. I'm Emanuele Fantini, and we've been searching for the sources of the night.